And thank you, Janice, uh, for the Joy Clinic report. And we are very proud of you and what's going on over across the street with that ministry. If you were to look in the Broadman Minister's Manual that has guidelines for all kinds of services in a Baptist church, uh, and you looked up dedication of a building, they would refer you to this passage of Scripture, Psalm 24. Uh, I think it's going to be on the screen. Let me read it for you. In the New American Standard, it says, A Psalm of David, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. And then the word Selah, which is sort of a pause for contemplation, meditation. And then you come to the second half of the psalm, which is the reason that the, the guidebook put this in for dedication of a building. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. He who is, who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Open up gates, open up ancient doors that the Lord of glory may come in. For 20 years, I've heard about Melrose Abbey and our recent trip uh, to Scotland and England took us there. Melrose is in the lower part of Scotland, almost in England. So it's in the border zone between the two parts of the island, which meant it was a war zone and conflicts came and went. And so Melrose Abbey was always in the center of a lot of turmoil and conflict there. What is an abbey? An abbey is a place under the leadership or authority of an abbot or an abbess, which is a place where priests and monks or nuns would gather and virtually operate a mission station. And they did everything from the practical things of life, of farming and raising animals, to copying biblical manuscripts, to sending out teams to evangelize the area. They were mission stations. So Melrose Abbey, uh, in between Scotland and England, is one of the great abbeys of Great Britain. We've got three pictures, I think. We'll look at those uh, quickly this morning. And this one is from a little bit of a distance backing up. Melrose Abbey has, for hundreds of years, not been an active abbey. Remnants of it did function down into the 1800s, but basically the function as an abbey went out in the 1500s in the days of Henry VIII when abbeys were just eliminated. Abbeys had a tendency to become wealthy places. People made offerings. And the monks, they didn't need anything. And so it just went into the treasury and the, the accumulating wealth of that property and that mission station. And so abbeys, the good ones, were wealthy prosperous, 
uh, alive places. And so they became targets for those who were looking for resources and, and things to absorb into their ranks, uh, just like people might be troubled by wealthy churches today. And so Henry VIII and, and hundreds of years before him, uh, those places like Melrose were targets, and, and so it was. Well, we look at another picture just at these quickly. This is what you see as you're coming in from the main gate down into the abbey. And one more picture of it. Uh, there it is from a side view. And you go in, if you're from First Baptist Dublin, and you look around, and if you know the story of this building, you'd feel at home. It looks like home. Uh, uh, look at the windows. Look at the window over here, over there. And uh, look at the bigger window down at the far end. You're on the south side of the abbey at that point, looking across the cemetery. And the smaller windows and the arches and the little figures within that and the circles. And you go into Melrose Abbey today and you think, this feels a lot like home. Uh, and there's a reason for that. 115 years or so ago, First Baptist Church was meeting at 405 Bellevue, just like it does today. But the building that was here in those days was not here. It's across town now. The church was here. The building was here. But it's been moved to Decatur Street. And you can go over there on the way home if you want to and loop by. I just don't get it. There are two Baptist churches now on that property. They almost adjoined buildings. But the old brick building was a wooden building here, First Baptist Church of Dublin. The pastor was a guy by the name of Miller Jenkins. And things were going well for First Baptist in those days and going well for Dublin. And the town was growing, so the church was growing. And, and there was this anticipated need for a bigger facility for First Baptist Dublin. Eventually, that building would be moved over there and bricked and made into what it is today. There's a bell in it that Milo tried uh, to stir interest in getting back for First Baptist Dublin. Uh, but it's over there in Second Baptist right now where they'll be having church this morning. Miller came as a young man in his late 20s to First Baptist Dublin. Young guy, kind of like our associate pastors. Now, there are two different versions of what had happened or was happening in his life. One version says that his wife uh, in his previous church in Macon died there of yellow fever, contracted from soldiers coming back from the Spanish-American War. Now, I don't know the details of that and how it fits. The other version has that his wife and child died, but during the Dublin years. So you have your choice of whether you want to believe a Macon newspaper or folks from Dublin. And I'm, I'm going to come down on the side of the folks from Dublin because the chronology doesn't make sense with the other version. But he moved here uh, and pastored our church for several years. We've got a picture of some pastors, if we could bring that up. And you see five guys there. How many of you recognize that picture? Nobody knows that picture. But a few of you have seen that before. Alan knows. Alan ought to know. We talked about this. But uh, that's been over. I don't know. We, do you go to Sunday school here? Uh, we, this, this has been in the hallway for at least 20 years in our Sunday school building over on that bookshelf. And you walk right past that every week and never notice these, these dear gentlemen there in the picture. Let me tell you who they are. 
The two on the left don't matter. The one sitting down on the left, don't worry about him. We don't really know who he is. The guy standing up on the left, don't worry about him. We don't really know. We know his name. That's uh, Reverend Buckholz, but he was never a pastor of the church here. The little caption that was put under the frame over there says five pastors or something like that, a First Baptist Church. Only three of the guys in the picture ever pastored here. And so I know you're, you're not going to probably remember these names later, but when you go down the hall, I'm going to reframe it in a better frame and put it back over there. And when you walk down the wall, hall next time and you look, you'll see these guys and you'll know who they were. The guy on the right standing with a really cool mustache. See the guy there? The, sl the slim young guy? That's Miller Jenkins, and he was pastor here from 1909, 1901 to 1906. Miller came here, and I think after he arrived in Dublin, his wife and child did die because a couple of years later, he requested of the church permission to have some time away from the pulpit, some significant time, like enough time in that age to go overseas. His heart was probably ripped apart by what he had experienced, losing both his, his young wife and his young daughter. And this church back then was probably pretty much like it is now, filled with a lot of gracious people with big hearts, and they felt his pain and what he was going through. And so they said, sure. Now, my guess is they probably paid his way too. There were no eight-hour flights to London then, so Miller went somewhere and got on a boat and crossed the ocean and rode trains in some places in the Middle East and Europe and England and Scotland. Knowing that back home in Dublin, the, the buzz, the discussion in the ranks of the church was we need a, a bigger facility. We need a better sanctuary. The Sunday school's already uh, maxed out its space and we need to build some Sunday school space quickly and then be about the business of building a sanctuary. And Millard went off uh, and went to Melrose Abbey, that beautiful place that you just saw. It was already in ruins, and he saw it just like you saw it in my postcards there. And walked up and down, and uh, some people say he made drawings. Maybe he purchased drawings. Maybe he got the postcards. I don't know if they had postcards then. But he came back with renderings of Melrose Abbey, brought them back and gave them to the committee here that was thinking toward a new sanctuary. And he said, I think this is what we need to do. Something like this. Certainly not as big as Melrose Abbey, but something like that in that spirit. He came here, and I don't know where the other church sat, but approximately where this one is. And so the pulpit was approximately where I am today. And he came into the pulpit uh, one Sunday morning after returning. He left in February, came back in mid-May after this long trip comes back to the pulpit, and his first message is Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, which may sound familiar to you. And it reads like this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your... Is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies desolate. This is after the Babylonian exile, and they've come back, and they're struggling to rebuild the temple. And Zerubbabel is the national leader at that point, and he will rebuild Solomon's temple. 
but he does so in response to this message. Haggai continues, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, and there's not enough. You put on clothing, but no one's warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Ever put money in your pocket and it fall through to the floor? Probably every guy here has had that happen with old pants. He says, your, your resources are slipping away from you because God's hand's not on you because you're not being obedient to what he's called you to do. And then the last verse of the passage says, go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Go collect the resources and rebuild this temple. Now, uh, just pause for a minute. <clears throat> this is not a message where at the end I'm going to encourage you to build a new building. So just take a deep breath and relax. That's not where we're going with this. So just, uh, But there are some lessons for us to learn from our church family and these years long gone by. And Millard came home from Scotland with those drawings and said, this is what we need to do. And he preached that passage. And our people, none of them living anymore, our people said, amen. We will do that. Let's build it. Let's build what you're talking about. And they took his drawings to Macon. And in time, the architect came back with this drawing. And I know the choir can't see it, but... If you're observant in the fellowship hall, on the basis of not having ever noticed the pastors in the hallway, you've probably never seen this either. But it's been, and the traditional legend is that Dick Burrell salvaged this from some closet somewhere and reframed it and hung it in the fellowship hall. Elsie's nodding. So it's it's true story. And so it's been in there for about 25 years in the fellowship hall. And some of you bought copies uh, that uh, were reproduced for us several years ago, smaller versions of that. And they came back and they hung that uh, where people could see it and promoted that idea. And our church started to collect money to build this structure. If you look at it really carefully uh, later on uh, and you look real carefully at the pictures of Melrose Abbey, you'll see that what we ended up with is closer to Melrose Abbey than it is to that. The windows are not right in the drawing there. I think somebody went back with Miller's pictures and said, to the architect, you know, you missed the round windows and the, some of the stuff, and you need to get that back in there. And they did, and they built this. I have no idea how they built this building. I would be excited to have a video of that. Millard stayed till 1906. The, they had not broken ground. They built some Sunday school space somewhere back here. I don't know if it became part of this or what it was. It's hard to make that out from the records. But he stayed till 1906 before ground was broken for this building as we know it. And he went on up to Kentucky where somebody gave him a doctor. I don't know if it was an honorary or an earned one. But, uh, and from there he went, uh, touched several bases and went on to Abilene, Texas. And he was for 27 years the pastor of First Baptist Abilene, Texas. He apparently had a lot of impact. He was quite a guy. In fact, in one of the write-ups, I read this several times. I, I couldn't but listen to this. This is a description of our pastor 115 years ago, right here in Dublin. I think the description of him is of him years later, but it, it says, in his personality, he's magnetic and popular with all classes. 
This guy's really something. Hold on. That's just, he's just warming up. And his heart is big, warm, and sympathetic, which draws and holds them like a vice. As a public speaker, he has a popular and pleasing style. At times, he's rhetorical and eloquent and always, always persuasive and interesting. His language is chaste. I don't know what they meant by that. His language is chaste. His diction, charming, and often his utterances. Now listen to this. I read this and I was ready to quit. Uh, Often his utterances are strong and break like the roll of the ocean at flood tide as he makes an appeal. His crowds are always large. He's truly a militant preacher. I don't know what that means. He's truly a militant preacher, and the gospel is his theme. With this mighty sword of the Spirit, he goes forth to war for his Lord. Now, you folks came to the right place this morning. You just got here 115 years late. (laughs) But Miller went on to do some amazing things, and he, he wrote several books that were circulated in the Baptist world and held a number of offices, especially among Texas Baptists. Pretty big deal in the world. But he was gone before they broke ground. Now, if you went back to that picture, if you could back up to the the five guys, the guy standing in the middle is the guy by the name of Alan Ford. And Alan came after Millard. And here's this church planning to build a building. And if you could get in your time machine, you, you might want to go back and say, Alan, don't go there, man. They're about to build a building. And it'll be, oh, you just don't want to get involved in that. I'd say, man, go, make sure you go, Alan. It's going to be awesome. And you can be the pastor while they build that thing. And Alan did come. And he only stayed from 1906 to 1909. But those were the years that they broke ground here and built this building. Why he left, I don't know. I thought if I, maybe the the experience of building this was so traumatic, he, he left as soon as it was done. But Alan was here during those years, another obviously young guy. And then you look at the guy on the bottom right. There's another pastor that's missing in the picture between them, but the guy on the bottom is T.W. Calloway, and he was here from 1913 to 1917. Now, that's significant. I think this picture was taken the day they dedicated this building. I've put the pieces together, and that's what I've come up with. And the two guys on the left up and down are are just guests that were there for the day for whatever reasons and they call these other pastors they got Miller to come back and Alan to come back to be here with Pastor Calloway to dedicate this building in 1914 and you read this the this literature and the stone out front and the ground was broken in 07 and the building completed in 08 why would you dedicate it in 1914 because that's when they paid it off and they wouldn't dedicate this building until it was paid for. I thought that was interesting. I thought that communicated something to young people and to some older people that you're not through until you pay for it. You're not through until you really finish and you do that. And Millard uh, back and came back for that big day to see what he started and compare his drawings to what was really here. And Alan was here thinking back on those times of building here. And T.W. was excited just to see all that happening and celebrating these, these doors that are now our ancient doors, as Psalm 24 would describe them, open and people coming in. You know, these glass, stained glass windows, 
you don't want to know what they're worth today, the appraisal on that. But they, these and those would tilt and they would, in the hot weather like this, with no air conditioning, no sound system and no air conditioning, they tilted all those windows in uh, for ventilation so that fresh air, fresh hot air could blow through for you. No fans. They didn't even have the fans then. And they dressed up. Look at the picture of these people in that drawing. They all dressed up in their best. And uh, they finished this building in 1908, which is the year that Henry Ford put out the first version of the Model T, which ran for about 20 years. Uh, they produced that car. It was uh, an exciting time in America. It was an exciting time in Dublin, an exciting time in this church. So that's where this building comes from. It's old Scottish Gothic architecture, and Miller brought it home from his trip, his heartbroken trip, his get-past-the-grief experience trip to Scotland and other places. Now, I want us very quickly this morning to draw three different lessons from Melrose Abbey and Abbey's and Miller Jenkins and what I've talked about so far. And the three are sort of disjointed. They're not all going to converge on the same point. But three quick lessons of application I think we can take home with us. Number one, and I said this as we were going into another historic place in England a few days ago. What you have, you have until the king takes it away. King Henry VIII uh, took Hampton Court and a whole bunch of other places away from his friends. And he went to the abbeys, and he took that away, and he said, I'm the king of England, and that's coming into my treasury. And so people learned 500 years ago and 800 years ago that when the king of England shows up and says, it's mine, it's, it's his. Uh, second spinoff of that, however, for us is what you have, you have until the king of kings takes it away. And that is profoundly true. And if you get nothing else out of anything else this morning, remember that, that all your earthly treasure will soon be gone when the King of Kings comes and says, it was yours for a season, sort of, but it's mine now forever. And you better at that point have invested your life wisely in things of eternal significance. But as you look at those abbeys like Melrose that are just the ruins sitting there, yeah, reminded of those realities. Second thing I would want you to think about in this story as I've described it, especially in terms of Pastor Jenkins, heartache and personal crisis. I've been with people who have lost children. I've been with young guys who lost their wives and young wives who lost their husbands. But I've never experienced it myself. But I think on Miller Jenkins' heartbreaking story and those losses. But heartache and personal crisis is not an end unless we allow it to be. Our time of difficulty, and this may be you this morning with something you're going through, or something that you're not aware of yet that you will face at some point in the future, our time of difficulty and disappointment and grief can become the very foundation on which the Lord builds a great future future chapters for our lives. Millard could have lost his wife and child and said, Dublin folks, I'm out of here. I'm just going to go do something else. I, I don't understand God well enough anymore to do anything. Instead, he said, I will serve the Lord without question, whatever. I will press on. And he did. And he remarried. And he had four more children. And he became a big deal in Baptist life. But most of all, he preached the gospel for the rest of his days 
and died in 1962. Poured out his life. You don't have to be stopped by the inevitable uncertainties that are going to come and throw glitches into your, your life plan for yourself. Nobody's immune from the consequences of living in a fallen world. Something's going to sting you. Something's going to hurt you. Something's going to break your heart. And it can be a springboard to greater things for the kingdom. It can be you. You can do that. And you don't have to be defeated by your personal crises. And a third quick lesson to add on top of that. Each generation is to consider how it is to unselfishly build the kingdom for generations to follow. Now, I know, because I know, nobody was here. Nobody that's here this morning was here the day they got the shovels and stood out here somewhere and broke ground to build this building. None of you were here, were you? I remember a few people who claimed to have memories of some things about that, but that was a long time ago. But nobody here this morning was around when that was done. And we sit here, and it's been enhanced with sound and air conditioning and electric instruments and all these amazing things, projectors. I promise you, Miller Jenkins would be blown away that we were projecting his picture on our walls and talking about him 115 years later. I can't believe that. I can't believe you can do it. I can't believe you... You did do that, and you're talking about me. But he and the folks in that time gave, and there were people who gave to build this building who never sat in it because they wanted you sitting in it because they thought of the future and future generations and the going forward of their church. It was not, let me build something really cool for myself. You go through the great cathedrals and the abbeys, and England and Scotland, and none of them were built quickly. They were built over many generations. And you didn't go into those things for what you were going to get out of it. You went into it for what you were going to give to the future. And somewhere along the line, we've got to have that same mindset. We're not just up here to see if it's good enough for us and what we can get out of it like it's some grandiose ecclesiastical vending machine and you punch a few buttons and you get exactly what you want and you go home feeling good about yourself and your own life. And it's met your needs. Church, real church, is about what can you pour into the kingdom? How can you serve the advancement of the gospel? Whether it's in Lawrence County in the Joy Clinic or Haiti or Zambia or Malawi. or What can you give for which you have no potential of return in this life? And our people came and they built this amazing structure. Without the power tools that we have today, without the steel we have today, they built this and it's still here and it's been refurbished over recent years. They came and they gave unselfishly for their children and their children's children and their children's 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 children down into our time. And we are privileged to be recipients of that inheritance, that spiritual inheritance passed down. Now, I, I said earlier, this is not a pitch for us to go build anything. Uh, we need to pay for what we've done and finish that up and do some more renovations and things. But we, right now, we don't need to build. What we need to do is explore the question, what do we do for the future? I suggest it has less to do with what we build here and more with what we build in other places that we may never see 
as we get consumed with the cause of Christ. We are called as individuals, as families, and as a church family to say, Lord, show us what is, what is it we do that will glorify you, that will impact people yet unborn. As uh, my chapter closes at First Baptist Dublin someday, I, I just look forward to future generations and say, oh, Lord, may it be until Jesus comes that this is a profound place for the proclamation of the gospel and that this is a profound place for sending missionary endeavors to the uttermost parts of the earth until Jesus comes. May it be so. And what do we need to do today to see that happen? That's our charge. That's the lesson of Miller Jenkins. That's the lesson of First Baptist Dublin four or five generations ago. Our people back then got it, and I think you get it, and we must continue to get it and teach our children to think not about what the church has to offer them, but how God can use them in his kingdom, and they will find true joy, not when joy is an end in itself. Remember this from a couple of months ago? Not when joy is an end in itself, but when the cause of Christ is the goal, and joy will come, and excitement. It will be thrilling to those who get it and who commit and serve. Oh, thank you, Millard. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Pastor Calloway. Thank you for those uh, that filled the pews in the old building. They gave. They gave to us because, first of all, they gave to the Lord. And we give to the Lord today for that which is the uncertainties of that which is to follow us. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me and we'll pray. Father, we're grateful this morning for the unselfish love, for the high commitment giving of those who built uh, this beautiful building for us a long time ago. We're grateful that the building has been preserved, but more importantly, we're grateful that the theology has been preserved and that the finished work of the cross and the gospel of the Lord Jesus is still central to who we are that we can be unreserved, unashamed champions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you show us individually and as a church what our role and what our purpose is for the future so that if uh, the second coming should tarry so long, a hundred years from now, whoever's here will look back on what we did and, and will be grateful in their hearts because we were obedient to what you led us to do. And Lord, we know that your gospel is spreading at an incredible pace around the world. Guard us against complacency and apathy, indifference and sinful living that will draw our hearts away from things that matter in eternity. Uh, help us to have our focus right, that you might be glorified in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.